0: If you're just joining us now on uh, Sermon Audio, on Catch Up, or on one of the podcasts, we welcome you this Sunday morning, well it's Sunday morning where where, where I am right now, and a, a special mention for the listeners who are located around the place, most, most are in the UK and USA of course, but um, I just want to say hello from us to the people listening in Ireland the people listening in Ghana in Africa and also the few over there in Indonesia very good morning to you and I hope the Lord blesses you mightily today we've had a Bible reading from Genesis our second Bible reading is from Mark's gospel of course come to the end so we're right at the end of Mark's gospel it's chapter 16 And it's the verses 9 to 20. Mark 16 verses 9 to 20. It goes as follows. Now when Jesus was risen early the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had cast seven devils. And she went and told them that had been with him, as they mourned and wept. And they, when they had heard that he was alive and had been seen of her, believed not. After that, he appeared in another form unto two of them as they walked and went into the country, and they went and told it unto the residue, neither believed they them. Afterward, he appeared unto the eleven as they sat at meat and upbraided them with their unbelief and hardness of heart, because they believed not them which had seen him after he was risen. <clears throat> and he said unto them Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature He that believeth and is baptised shall be saved But he that believeth not shall be damned And these, sh- these signs shall follow them that believe In my name shall they cast out devils They shall speak with new tongues They shall take up serpents And if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. So then after the Lord had spoken unto them, he was received up into heaven, and sat on the right hand of God. And they went forth, and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them, and confirming the word, with signs following. Amen. so we've come to our final message in the gospel according to Mark from my perspective it's been an extremely interesting journey and I hope obviously that you've shared that experience with me we've seen Jesus um, teaching healing, rebuking commending exorcising, prophesying, praying, suffering, dying and rising from the dead. I've been surprised really by the wealth of the sheer wealth of teaching in this gospel even though it's the shortest of the four as well. It's challenged and encouraged us, it's made us happy, it's made us sad, it's thrilled us, it's shocked us. And now we come to the end of Jesus' time on this earth. It's the time of his ascension to heaven. He's still a very young man. He's roughly the age of my elder son. But as I said last time, he's going to where he belongs. He's about to take his rightful place at the right hand of God Almighty, a place of equality. Well, shortly we're going to look at three aspects of Jesus's resurrected activity that's recorded in these verses and we'll think about <clears throat> we think about the rebuke of Jesus concerning unbelief we'll consider the instruction he gives his followers and then we'll conclude with the ascension itself Before I make some general comments about the passage, I want to mention the long-running debate <clears throat> about this passage, verses 9 to 20. Now this debate has been going on for the best part of the past 2,000 years. And it began because when when people were putting, you know, letters and fragments of letters and trying to draw it all together. Um, they noticed that these last few verses in mark were different uh, that the literary style suddenly changed which which is which is unexpected so there's been all kinds of theories about why this is ca- why why this is the case some even think that mark died unexpectedly and the, the, the i mean had it finished at verse 8 it would be a it would We'd be left hanging, you know um, So It's thought that, that that Another follower of Jesus Christ came And sort of finished it off And that explains The difference in tone The difference in style and so on Now, the, the, This debate is, is It is extremely complex And I've got no interest Right now in becoming tied up with it There have been good cases Made for It's this passages inclusion and its exclusion now from the perspective of a, a preacher i'm um, obviously i'm just as keen to avoid any writings that really don't belong in the canon of scripture just as i am keen to include writings which do belong because you remember this is our duty you remember at the, the end of the book of revelation it it warned us there about uh, not only taking away but adding adding to that book and therefore by extension that the whole of scripture too now since since i've been studying the canon of scripture and how it was all put together to to give us the, the, the the bibles we ended up with i've become more confident than ever that that they they may Right decisions; that it was a process um, superintended by God Himself. It means that we can still quote from other things. We can quote from the Book of Maccabees or the Letter of Clement to, to the Corinthians or, or whatever. All these other letters, thousands of letters, flying round. But it was fairly, it was fairly straightforward deciding which of these things were apostolic, really. So we can quote from other things as long as we differentiate them from inspired scripture. So what approach did I make to these verses today about which there's been, well there's been more debate about these verses than any other portion of scripture probably. So well, firstly I, I see that what they contain is consistent with the rest of scripture. So they contain no uh, errors I, I, I also see elements I also see elements within it that that continue some of the themes that we've seen throughout mark and it's for those reasons and, and others as well that I take the side at the at the moment that my present understanding is I, I would take sides with people like Dean Bergen and um, and I believe that these verses uh, do belong in the canon of Scripture so I'm proceeding on that basis uh, just a word though, if you, if you do come across a believer who argues that certain verses shouldn't be in our Bible, be charitable because there's men on both sides of these debates who have the highest view of God and the Scriptures. Well, just a few introductory comments then on the passage before us today. We note Jesus' first resurrection appearance was to a woman. No surprises there really. I've already commented on the prominence of uh, women among the followers of Jesus Christ and why I'm so happy at this is it encourages women who are per- perhaps you know dismayed that the Bible limits leadership in the church to, to men <clears throat> or it describes uh, the man uh, in a, the husband in a marriage as a sort of in a, in a sort of uh, leadership a kind of leadership role. And and I think this the, the picture the Bible paints about women, because it's more favourable than how it shows men generally in the Gospels. It should really reassure you, you 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 young women, you not so young women, that you are valued as much as men, even if God has assigned different roles for you than from men. some um, <clears throat> some details about the, the Bible so, some things we believe are, are taught through popular culture rather than the scriptures so believe it or not there are plenty of people out there who think hell is a place where Satan lives standing on a rock you know a, a, above the, the, the lava and he's got a pitchfork and his job is to torture people and laugh at them while they suffer in hell that's a load of rubbish that others others think peter the apostle sits at the gates of heaven deciding who can and can't get entry so a a, a lot of a lot of this imagery is, is is in the form of like silly cartoons but it's actually it's like the little it's like the little miniature noah's Ark. you know it's sort of it does it does get itself into the, the the psyche of the people and it, another one is the view that Mary Magdalene was a prostitute it's a, it's quite a common view it was mentioned on a program I was watching a drama I was watching only a couple of nights ago Mary Magdalene uh, is described as a childless prostitute and this idea came from well not only from him but from one of the popes he, I think he did a sermon on it and uh, I think everyone just believed him because he was the pope, you know. So the Roman Catholic Church, anyway, traditionally have, have viewed that as the case, and then it found its way into popular culture. Now I haven't investigated it in in too much depth, but reliable sources that I've read uh, tell us there's 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 no significant evidence anyway that Mary was Mary Magdalene was a prostitute. She had been a sinful woman, obviously, like Mary the mother of Jesus, a sinful woman. Mary Magdalene was the same, sinned throughout her life, died a sinner. And it also tells us Mary Magdalene was demonised at one point. You might recall, you might recall a Jesus uh, exorcising a, a demon from one person, uh, a single demon, and then another time there was a multitude and then here there's seven uh, seven of them pestering the soul of Mary and Jesus banished all seven of them you'll notice in verse 17 that the apostles and early Christians were given unique gifts to kickstart the great revival which was about to take place a couple of them were quite familiar with such as speaking in foreign languages without having learned them and also healing people, you know laying hands on people and and healing them and there are obviously plenty of examples associated with those things in acts and in some of the letters, but a couple of them are more unusual. The disciples were told they'd have an immunity from poison and venomous snakes. I have seen some I have seen some religious cults um the maddest cults always seem to be in either America or Africa. <laughs> I don't know what, 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 what why, why that's the case. Maybe it's just the sheer number of Christians in each in each place. But uh, I, I, I saw one Christian cult uh, in America, and they they capture snakes and then they get them out during their Sunday meeting and start dancing around, holding these snakes up and and. Singing or something—I don't know. It's all very bizarre, completely unbiblical. Well, a, a more sensible approach uh, to, 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 the, to a more sensible example would be uh, that if some of Jesus's followers had been persecuted in different ways, and their persecutors maybe f- would force them to drink uh, poison, then he, he tells them that they, they'll be immune from that and there's only really one example that comes close to this and that's in Acts 28 Paul is he's on a boat it's been shipwrecked he 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 gets on the land they're all around the fire just pleased to be alive and uh, a snake jumps out and latches onto Paul the locals know what type of snake it is and they know exactly what's going to happen his hand's going to swell and then he's going to maybe suffer from um, uh, anaphylactic shock or a heart failure or something and, and he would be dead soon so they were sitting waiting for the <laughs> waiting for him to drop down dead but he didn't drop down dead and in fact um i'm sure he had puncture wounds in his hand but the point was there wasn't even any swelling so the venom had had no effect and it was so um, unexpected by the locals that they assumed Paul was some kind of God. So, you know, you will know my views on, on these sorts of miraculous gifts. I believe they were meant to be temporary. And we we all know people who believe they're not, that they're still for today. And so one difficulty I, I would maybe um, present to them is to ask why modern practitioners of these things who claim to speak in biblical tongues or they claim to heal people by by laying on hands uh, why don't they also have immunity to poison and venom so why just select a couple of gifts you know um, that's just one argument i mean i have i have a number of reasons why uh, i won't go into them now for the position that i take these signs as far as i'm concerned were to authenticate the ministry of believers during the apostolic era alone If he wanted to, God could give every one of us right now the miraculous ability to go and heal people out there just with a touch. It's not about what God can do. It's about what he chooses to do. So let us get into the words and actions of Jesus as he's about to depart this world. So my first point is about his rebuke so when he finally sees the disciples, he rebukes them. He expresses his disappointment. They didn't believe the statements of these witnesses. And you know, these weren't people they didn't know. If they were complete strangers bearing witness, then the disciples might say, Well, this person could be, you know, have a mental health issue. These were people they knew from their own believing community and what's more, Jesus had continually reminded them to expect his resurrection when you think about it they didn't really believe in the resurrection when Jesus was around and told them it was going to happen their minds were always rejecting his teaching that he'd rise again so he was right to blame them for their hardness of heart the first testimony came from a woman In their society, a female witness had no value. But again, this was a sister in the Lord. Let's give them the benefit of the doubt for a second. Let's assume that they thought she was um, so stricken with grief at losing her friend and her master that she'd become temporarily unstable in her mind. But then they were told by two men, two disciples. Firstly, they're men so their their witness carries weight uh, secondly there were two of them and so the witness of two men had to be taken seriously it's hard to believe they could think both of these men had lost their minds independently of each other and were both equally deluded um, believing the same story it, it just shows how hard the human heart can get It was a useful lesson for them though, they got to feel what it's like to be an unbeliever, what it's like to hear someone testify about Jesus and reject it as a delusion. So, having had their eyes open later on, they'd be better able to understand the hardness of heart in the people they were taking the gospel to. If you're listening today and you're not yet in God's kingdom there's a very important lesson here for you I want to speak to you for a while see that the testimony of Jesus to the two disciples was sufficient evidence for them to believe Jesus had risen from the dead their testimony to the others should have been sufficient testimony for them to believe they, they did eventually of course <clears throat> Well, today we testify to you that we are fully convinced jesus rose from the dead now i know part of you will be thinking that this sort of thing doesn't happen so it's unlikely to be true but if you take an impartial look at the bare historical facts i believe you'd be forced on balance to believe that somehow jesus was resurrected Our faith, of course, is made up of a lot more than just an historical case. Excuse me, we have we have a a proper living relationship with God. He's given us He's given us these characteristics all of a sudden that were not ours by nature. Things like a, a love for people who we should really hate. He's answered our prayers in very startling ways. And our sort the, of the, the rubbish level of faith that exists in the church of god means that you know probably most prayers are ignored by god but certainly there's not one of us who, who can't testify to prayers being answered in very shocking ways and then there's this bible the bible that we value so highly it confirms its own truthfulness and so much so it's completely transformed our lives And we're so excited about this faith we possess. We want to share it with you. Now on the one hand. We want you to share. In good things like. The peace and joy we have. We want you to avoid bad stuff. We don't want you to come to harm. At God's hand. Uh, But on the other hand. The 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 fewer people. That are living in rebellion. Against God the better. Because he deserves glorification. And praise. Not uh, people you know waving the fist in his face <clears throat> well this gospel that we want to share with you if you're an unbeliever the gospel we want to share with you is found in verse 16 it talks about these two groups one who'll be saved the other who'll be damned I know there's mention of baptism here the reason is um, it's expected that if God saves you you'll go through the ritual of water baptism to signify the change that's taking place but the real distinction is between those who believe and those who don't those who believe on the Lord Jesus Christ will be saved it says here in Acts 2 and verse 38 and Peter said unto them repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift Of the Holy Ghost. True belief is a very full concept. What what I mean is it isn't just believing God or even believing Jesus died on a cross. Virtually the whole planet believes in God and that that Jesus died on a cross is a fact uh, disputed by hardly any historians true belief for one thing involves repentance there is an acknowledgement of your sinfulness you have to try and see things from God's perspective when he looks down on a sinner like 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 you and like the way he looked down on me before I was converted well he's just he's repulsed by it and and your repentance must uh, include your admission that you're a vile individual if you think that language is um, too extreme in your case, then you're probably not truly repenting. Uh, You you may, fair enough, not not know the full extent of your sin, but you you need to put yourself in that place. You need to go to God understanding your utter unworthiness and declare your intention to do all you can in his strength to stop sinning. True belief also involves faith you you certainly do need to believe Jesus died on a cross but a true faith understands more it realises Jesus dying on a cross was partly about you that's what faith is, that you were one of the reasons he was killed that his intention was to suffer and die in your place so you could be set free avoiding damnation and inheriting eternal life. But the thing is, if you're listening to this today, it's because you have some interest. You have some interest, and you'll know know quite well. Most people would rather uh, chop off their own arms than listen to me talking about the Bible. Here's just one verse uh, in the Bible about people who think like that and it's in luke chapter 6 and verse 25 and it says woe unto you that are full for ye shall hunger woe unto you that laugh now for ye shall mourn and weep <clears throat> let me just run through that the the people who are full are those who are able to live their lives without god they have their family, maybe a career, possibly plenty of money. They have their sports, their television programs, their weekends in the pub. They're not hungry for Jesus Christ, and in that sense they are full. But there is a judgment coming, and the temporary pleasures they fill their life with now will be taken from them. So not only will they spend eternity without God, but they'll be without those very things they used to fill up their godless lives. They'll be hungry for things like light and and, and calm, company, an end to their suffering. But that hunger will never end. The same verse goes on to It goes on to talk about those who laugh those who uh, laugh now they do laugh they enjoy happiness with family and friends they experience times of joy uh, and they take part in the various pleasures in life but their laughter makes things worse for them God sees them living in rebellion to him while all the time laughing and having fun They're effectively laughing in his face. And they laugh at God's servants too. Anyone who's preached in a town centre will have experienced people laughing at them. They think the gospel is so stupid and they think the preacher is just another religious nutcase. The day is coming when those people will find their laughter turned to grief. Weighty grief. All they'll be able to do is cry constantly at their situation. The judgment will have taken place. They will have been found guilty of offences against the Almighty and rejection of his gospel agents, the Christians. The dismal sentence is an eternal one and they know it. But that's not you. You're, you're listening to a sermon. You probably think there's a, I don't know, maybe there's a scale of goodness and bad badness with you closer to the goodness end of the scale than, than the bad end. And you might, you might never repent and believe. As you listen to all this, um, you might be nodding inwardly. You might have great respect for the message and even the messenger you might enjoy listening to the sublime language of the bible you might think the stories of jesus that the greatest ever told yet for all that you might not put your trust in him it could be you want to sort out a few things first maybe you want to improve yourself morally before you you make your application to god or maybe you think we're just a bit too extreme You know, you can cope with listening to sermons, going to church, singing hymns, but you think people like me are a bit over the top, a bit obsessed. Satan, you know, can influence your thoughts at a subconscious level. He's able to communicate to you without using audible words. And he's been filling your head with his propaganda your whole life. If you think salvation is something that can be put off till a convenient time, you've fallen for his lies. If you think me too much of a zealot, you've fallen for his lies. And if you think you're not so bad that you're okay compared to most people in this world, you've fallen for his lies. You, my friend, will end up in the same place as the worst criminals the world has ever known. You'll have the whole of eternity to figure out how God has given eternal life to people who committed murder and rape while a respectable person like you have ended up imprisoned forever. Listen to the rebuke of Jesus, friend. Jesus then... Gives out his command, his commission. So having rebuked the disciples. He goes on to give them instruction. They were to spread the message. Far and wide. This message was the gospel. The gospel. It's to be both believed and obeyed. There is belief in a fact. Of Jesus' atoning sacrifice. And there is obedience. In going to God and pleading for mercy the gospel is of course to be christ-centered he's the one to be exalted he is the one who is to be credited as the one and only savior this gospel is also about the kingdom of god god is the king of kings and believers are his subjects men or women are told about this kingdom they're urged to make it their life's most important act to discover how to enter this kingdom this gospel puts the death and resurrection of Jesus as its foundation Jesus gave his very life for people and God's salvation plan then continued with the resurrection this gospel of ours declares salvation to all who turn to Christ if the are sincere he promises not to reject them and all who, who humbly uh, come to God in prayer will find themselves declared not guilty and they can enjoy God and his benefits forever and this gospel is commended to people because of the wonderful benefits it brings in this life to those who God converts receive the Holy Spirit in their hearts and a great love shown by the Holy Spirit, is seen in the peace and the joy that he gives to us, to those who believe. The disciples eventually did become enthusiastic missionaries for Jesus, but what about you believing friends? Okay, there's possibly not one of you has been called to be a a missionary of the type that we see here. So you, you might be thinking, now you don't have those type of obligations since you haven't been called as an evangelist. Well, the Bible tells us pretty clearly, part of the contract with God you signed up for involves you testifying to other people about Jesus Christ. If you don't witness to others about Jesus, you should be fearful right now. I mean, just how long have you been living as a Christian with such a disobedient attitude? My advice is you go to God in prayer today and repent. Ask, ask, ask God for forgiveness for your failing. Whether it's through just laziness or pride. Because you're scared people might think less of you if they see how passionately you believe. Go to God in prayer. Promise him you will do better. You'll see in verse 15, Jesus tells his disciples to go into all the world and preach the gospel to everyone. Uh, l- listen to how he, he explains this. This is um, He assigns the task in the opening chapter of uh, Acts. It says, But you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, And you shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem, in all Judea, in Samaria, and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. By the time Paul was writing letters to the churches, it said by him that the gospel had gone out into the whole world and been preached to everyone. So obviously this is just a figure of speech. Like when we say, I've looked everywhere for these car keys some smart aleck will say you haven't looked everywhere you haven't looked in the middle of Africa you haven't looked on the roof you know something like that but you but everyone knows what it means it's a figure of speech and so Paul says the gospel has gone out everywhere everyone everyone's heard the gospel it's a figure of speech they had gone into every area in the known world and they preached the gospel everywhere they went now back in chapter 13 we spoke about the end of the, the world the end coming and it was my aim there to show that that had its fulfillment in the destruction of Jerusalem in the first century so when Jesus gives the instruction to go and preach the gospel to everyone the, the prime meaning was that they go around the known world and preach widely establishing churches as they went but as I intimated when we went through the Book of Revelation, and through other Bible prophecies, these fulfillments are often precursors to a, a larger fulfillment in the future. So, if that's the case, uh, then there's an instruction for us too. There's an instruction for us where to carry on the job the apostles started wherever we find ourselves in our lives we're to make proper proper uh, efforts to, to um, spread this message of the gospel and when the gospel has reached everyone God intended to and when all his elect have been brought into his kingdom I'm pretty sure the end of all things will, will then come Jesus came in judgment when Jericho was ruined Jesus came in judgment in AD 70 when Jerusalem was sacked and Jesus will come again in a different way at the end of days again in judgment but this time with a worldwide scope. So whether it's through a text, a Facebook post, a letter, an email, a phone call, a leaflet or an unexpected opportunity while standing at a bus stop there's a multitude of ways to communicate that message um, the gospel is the message God's giving you to spread don't worry about the effects either folks You know, um, the majority if not all the people that you share this message with will either ignore you ridicule you or express some respect for you and do nothing else The results of your efforts are in the hands of God. Listen to this example from Acts again of the results of evangelism by God's people. Acts 28 and verse 24 says Some believed the things which were spoken and some believed not. Just like the risen Jesus was unrecognised Until he chose to make himself recognisable. So God will either close the ears of the people you communicate to. Or he'll open them. Now, it's okay to be grieved at the lack of interest in the things of God in society around you. It's silly to say things like, I just don't get it, why don't they... why are they so stupid you should never say that because you were in the same place so never forget that it's okay to be grieved when you just see the lack of interest I mean Jesus was grieved Jesus was grieved at the unbelief he encountered the apostle Paul he lamented about his fellow countrymen not believing in Jesus he said if it was possible he'd, he'd go to hell in their place you know But you should never despair, that's the thing You should never despair Like as if Things are not going according to God's plan Despite the wickedness Despite the open hatred for God Despite all the indifference God uses your Witness Flawed as it may be He uses your witness to accomplish His ends Some people Will be repulsed by your message and others will be attracted. That's the way it will always be. And remember even if your efforts don't seem to have an effect you've you've sown seed some of the seeds you throw out there may well take root. You don't know it could be years later that another Christian comes along, encounters the same person and their words cause that seed to be watered and the end in that case will be that God grows this up into a proper plant that person becomes truly saved well let's move on to this uh, this final point Jesus' ascension his rising into heaven Jesus had finished what he wanted to say to them it was time to leave He didn't belong in the sinful arena of this world. He belonged in glory and I'm sure he couldn't wait to go. In his ascension he not only regained the glory he had with the Father originally, for whatever reason he said he wouldn't send the Holy Spirit down to this world unless he himself ascended to God's side. He also said he was going to prepare a place for his disciples. Now, if you compare this language with what Paul says in Corinthians, you understand our new habitation, our new home is not a big house in the sky, but a new resurrected body. The, the, the truth is, he no more needed to prepare bodies than he needed to finish building heavenly houses for us. It, all it means is that he ascended... To continue the process of salvation, a process which results in new tabernacles, new bodies for all of God's elect. Where did Jesus go exactly? It's clear he lifted up from off the earth. Now, people get carried away with this idea and they they start fantasizing that our everlasting life will involve us you know flying around like superman or walking backwards and forwards through brick walls just because we can now i know no more about our eternal state than you do but i'm sure this is not what it's about the fact is in scripture heaven is described most commonly as being up there and is contrasted with the realm of the dead down below this is all just imagery so Jesus did rise up from the the earth and eventually disappear but we're not to think heavens up there somewhere I'm pretty sure if someone was able to follow Jesus that day they wouldn't be following him as he you know left the atmosphere and then left our solar system and left the, the outer reaches of the universe his rising up into the air was for their benefit a memorable image Of Jesus ascending to heaven there's no sense in which it's reasonable to think heaven is somewhere straight up in the air from the Middle East but the fact that he 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 vanished it, it leaves us with plenty of questions now fortunately none of those are of vital importance doesn't mean it's wrong for us to consider the possibilities we're just not going to go into that now if the disciples had this wonderful um, memory of Jesus floating upwards, signifying his ascent to the dimension of heaven well the first martyr for Jesus was comforted in his final moments by the imagery of an enthroned Jesus in a vision acts chapter 7 and verse 55 acts 7 verse 55 says this about stephen but he being full of the holy ghost looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of god and jesus standing on the right hand of god You can see how the vision that God gave to Stephen as he was being killed for his faith uses different imagery. Here, it's showing Jesus standing rather than sitting. Christ is sometimes portrayed as sitting in a separate throne to his Father, sometimes the same throne as his Father, or here, no throne at all. This use of a variety of images should stop people creating doctrines about what heaven looks like or what God looks like. It forces them. To see past the different imagery to find out what they have in common. And they all speak about the rule and the authority and the power and the glory of the risen Christ. Here, friends, is our duty now. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God Colossians 3 and verse 1 you believers are said to be risen with Christ and are even said to have ascended with him we are joined to Jesus Christ and cannot be separated we don't have his power but we We do rule with him. And we're to seek those things which are above. Heavenly things. That is, our thoughts, words and actions should be appropriate for those who walk the hallowed floors of God's palaces. The ascension of Jesus ends our survey of Mark's gospel we discovered what, what a great man Jesus Christ is what a great God he is you kindly born with me through almost 60 sermons based on Mark and I hope my efforts in prayer and in preparation haven't been wasted and that you will have been blessed along the way Remember, I'm just a message boy. All I do is take God's words and I pass them on to you. If God has answered my prayers and allowed me to communicate the meaning of His word faithfully, I have no doubt whatsoever you will have been blessed. Because that's what God's word does. In a few weeks' time, we'll begin a survey of a different book of the Bible but still my aim in every message will remain the same to present Jesus Christ to you then retreat and go off stage and enjoy seeing him receive all the praise and all the glory the Lord bless thee and keep thee the Lord make his face to shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee the Lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace Amen Well brothers and sisters um, thank you again for joining with us Uh, God knows your presence with us today and we, we thank you thank you for joining the community of believers here online and god willing i will be preaching here again in a few weeks time until then god bless and i shall see you soon